Welcome on Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton. Today is Friday's Longhorn live stream. I'm with Jerry Hamilton and Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com. A lot of news going on. Texas preparing to host 20 official visitors over the weekend. That begins today. SEC schedule was released on Wednesday evening. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to take your questions. Jerry, I'm going to start with you uh, and I'm going to incorporate a question. Uh, Micah Hudson took a midweek visit to Texas. He's the state's top wide receiver out of Lake Belton uh, from Rodolfo Esquivel here. How did it go with Hudson yesterday? Jerry, I also want to segue to this. After you talk about that, talk about Colin Simmons, the top-ranked edge prospect in Texas out of Duncanville, and his midweek visit, surprisingly, to <laughs> SMU, who all of a sudden has the old Pony Express rolling right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a visit with Micah Hudson went well, as, as expected. It's one-on-one -on -one time with the entire offensive staff. Uh, more time spent with Sark, Chris Jackson, um, all those guys, people within the football department, um, people within his uh, with the field he wants to major in. Obviously, video um, is big in that, video photography, uh, communications, all that is really big in uh, what Micah Hudson's looking for in the future. Uh, so I think the visit went really well. Coming out of the visit, look, I mean, what I was told was 50-50 with Texas and Texas Tech. So – People can take for that from that what they want. Um, he obviously is on his way to Lubbock for an official visit this weekend. Then he's scheduled to be at Texas next weekend. Uh, the other thing is I, the timeline. Look, everybody thinks it's going to be fall. But I was told by somebody yesterday, Micah, Micah operates in stealth mode a lot. So he likes to, for people not to know what he's exactly thinking throughout this recruiting process. Um, he's not the guy that's going to go on. Uh, you know, on three and like Colin Simmons say, LSU and Texas are my top two. He's not really going to go that route. He's going to operate a little differently. Uh, so the question is, does this recruitment go all the way to December? Does it end in the fall? Uh, could it end actually before a senior season? And I think that's going to be something interesting uh, that will have to play out here the next month or so. Uh, because you know Texas Tech's uh, going to come with everything they got this weekend, and Texas is going to do the same. Uh, and he hasn't set up in any other visits. So uh, it's obviously two teams way out front because it would have been easy this month to go to Ohio State, go to Georgia, go to Tennessee, take those out-of-state visits, visit A&M. I've heard A&M's pushing to get him in in the fall. So they're wanting to play the long game there. Jerry, before you before you mention Colin Simmons, uh, is the pitch basically like go to Tech and get featured immediately versus – because Texas doesn't have the scheme disadvantage they've had in the past, you know. Like yeah. you go to Texas, you're going to get the ball in Sark's offense. You're going to run down the field. What, what's the what, why is why is Texas in a in a battle at all with with Lubbock? Well, you know, Mike actually is a kid that likes the Big Twelve, likes the offenses in the Big Twelve, um, uh, likes the pace of play in the Big Twelve. Um, so what Tech? I, I think Tech is kind of recruiting into that. Uh, but does that mean Micah Hudson's gun is playing the Big 12? No, it doesn't. But he's always been intrigued by, um, you know, the opportunities from a wide receiver position in the Big 12. Uh, more targets, uh, a little more tempo. Um, and, you know, obviously uh, Texas Tech having two guys that are they're, – they're telling him they're going to throw the ball a lot and they're going to throw it down the field. Here's the issue. They have a converted running backs coach as a wide receivers coach. Right. Whereas Texas has the former Jacksonville Jaguars wide receivers coach. Right. If and he's you, looking to get coached up. Yeah. 
you know, if he's looking for more targets, I don't know what to tell you other than, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, like you said, I think it's 50-50. It is. I mean, that's everything we're gathering. It's 50-50. It could go either way. Um, and, you know, so I, I think, the like anything else, I think these visits, uh, and I know I sound like a broken record, these visits the next two weekends are going to be huge uh, in this recruitment. That's That's time with kid. That's time with mom and family. Um, and I think that's going to go a long way into uh, who's going to be number one and who's going to be number two after June. Jerry, talk to us briefly about Colin Simmons, uh, the edge prospect out of Duncanville. Uh, he is, uh, I don't know if he's number one on the Texas board overall or what the number is, but he ain't far from the top. Yeah, uh, I mean, if he's not if he's not number one, I'm, I'd be surprised. I think he's that important at a position of need, at a premium position. At Duncanville High School, uh, you're not going to go around the country and find a better prospect. Doesn't mean he's going to be the best player in four years, but you're not going to find a better prospect uh, than Colin Simmons. Yeah, he was at SMU this week. And, you know, so that puts uh, Miami, what, Oregon, uh, SMU <laughs> visits here in June. He's going to Bama, scheduled to be at Bama this weekend. Uh, then he comes to Texas next weekend. Uh, but Colin is a very sharp kid. Um, the process is going to play out, you know. I, I, we could said earlier this week that November 11th uh, is his LSU official visit. That's when Florida is in Baton Rouge. So uh, this recruitment's playing out a while. Um, I, I, I'd be shocked if it ended in July. Um, this is one time I'd be shocked. Uh, I think there's so many more visits to be that he's going to make. I think he'll be to Texas during the season. I just think this one's going to play out a while. I Nothing's changed. Texas, LSU, uh, still the two. You hear mentioned the most, and like I know Miami set up set up all those kids on South Beach and told them we'll see you Sunday when we take you to the airport. I get it. Um, I mean, the, the kids literally stayed on on the Miami Beach and parents at hotels. They were thirty five minutes from campus for the official visit. I mean, <laughs> where a great representation representation of college have? life. <laughs> Do what? It's a great representation of college life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, it's still Texas LSU. Uh, as the top two, um, you know, AM's is going to get a visit there at the end of July. Uh, I think he'll be on Texas's campus again during the season. Uh, he's got a couple other visits scheduled in the season, subject to change. Uh, but, yeah, he was at SMU, probably had a great view from Jordan Hudson's high rise. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, speaking with Jerry Hamilton and uh, Ian Boyd of Inside Texas, <clears throat> before we get to the SEC schedule, Ian, I'm going to talk to you about that. I want to say special thanks to our ongoing sponsor. He's been with us from just about the start, uh, and that's Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, Andy is a guy that places uh, people and families into a, a franchise of their choice. He actually does all the, the uh, back-end work, also kind of pre-qualifies you, finds the business that's right for you from a time commitment, a financial goal perspective. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities and options out there. Uh, get with Andy, and he can take you and shepherd you through the entire process. Uh, visit him at MyPerfectFranchise.net or call him at 404-973-9901. Uh, also today, we're going to be taking your questions, obviously. That's something we do on every live stream. We've also got questions coming in from the InsideTexas.com website. Uh, we'll be uh, getting to those as well. So please try to uh, get your questions in. We've got about an hour, hour, 10 minutes today. Uh, trying to, to make these go a little bit longer to get everybody's questions in uh, as much as possible and still be respectful respectable of everyone's time uh, that uh, contributes to this. So we appreciate everybody. Right. Joseph, Joseph, I'm betting on myself. So we, that's that question. 
And I don't know Andy Ludicky how he shoots the ball, but I do know if I can stand and shoot the ball, I'm pretty high level. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's talk a little SEC schedule, guys. Um, it came out on Wednesday. Uh, Ian, I'm going to go direct to you here. Any uh, first thoughts? Jerry and I have given ours. Eric Nalene's given his. Uh, your first thoughts upon seeing that schedule? Well, <clears throat> I think that they're going to immediately get the major physicality in the front seven test with the schedule. Um, I don't know that the schedule is really that hard, relatively speaking, for an SEC schedule. Like if you look at a typical SEC West schedule in previous years, this is not certainly not worse than that. Um, but uh, they get Georgia, which is the trench team in the country. They get Kentucky, who is trench-oriented maybe to a fault. You know, they're trying to pound the ball when they had Will Levis in a Will Levis in a contract year. They get Florida, who's uh, got multiple 400-pound nose tackles. Billy Napier is gathering enormous people from every all every quadrant of the earth, you know. Um, and then uh, I feel like I'm missing somebody too, but they're going to play. And then they have, they have Michigan right in the non-conference. So these are like basically the who's who of the most physical imposing fronts in the country. Um, that's what Texas has been preparing to deal with. And they're going to get, you know, proof of concept on that immediately. Uh, Ian, uh, you, you and I, you, you went to Texas. What does it mean to revive the A&M rivalry? I think the importance of it is evident in the fact that the teams haven't played in over 10 years. And there's may not be another fan base with which Texas fans have more online engagement. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, yeah. it's I mean, like, Oh, we I, don't need Texas. I, my, my take on it in, in reviving the Arkansas rivalry I just feel like this, guys, is this is the schedule that you wanted. At the end of the day, you wanted this, right? And we wanted this. We want to see Texas at a better conference, playing better, better teams. I mean, enough of Iowa State coming to town or Oklahoma State. I mean, I grew up in – Texas never played those teams. They had no natural boundary to them. It just didn't make sense. I think now uh, moving to the SEC, a lot of those teams uh, are also big state universities, Georgia, uh, Florida. Those are big kind of peer universities in some ways uh, to the University of Texas. I, I, we asked uh, folks uh, the question. I, I put it on our community page on, on Texas football. Which new game, and I put new in quotes here, uh, would folks most be interested in watching or seeing no surprise to, to Ian and I's uh, discussion here. Uh, 51% for Texas A&M. Georgia at 31. Florida just at 5%. Michigan at 13. You know, it look, you could take A&M, Georgia, and Michigan out of that, and having Florida as a, a home game in a year, everybody would be excited about that. But this is this, on this list alone, they're fourth. I mean, think, think about that. that Jerry, what – that goes to speak to the depth of the SEC and where Texas is going with its conference. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've thought about a lot about this, and I'm going to put this very simply. Um, 
When Texas plays a Big 12 game on Saturday, kids in the Southeast region don't turn on the TV to watch Texas play. That's just not happening. Maybe if they committed, Cedric Baxter watched them, right? Maybe if a coach they know. Um, kids turn on CBS to watch the game of the week. They turn on ESPN to watch uh, SEC football. And I'm talking kids from Louisiana to Florida up in the Carolinas. So what does the move mean to me? How impactful is this poll? I mean, all this goes into, uh, I always think of things from a recruiting perspective. Nobody was, kids in Georgia and Florida, and they weren't turning tuning in to watch Texas play Iowa State, to your point, Bobby. But they're going to be tuning in now. Texas goes to a different brand in recruiting now. Um, and now this most game most excited about, A&M by far. I mean, I, I know Georgia's, two-time defending national champion, maybe three. But the state lost something big with AM. and um, And the other thing I'll say about the move to the SEC is AM's built-in recruiting advantage is gone. They've had it on Texas and Oklahoma in the state of Texas. They don't anymore. Um, and I think this game, while it means a lot to uh, A&M fans, I think this game is going to be more to Texas fans the first few years in the SEC, honestly. I mean, there's just everything, that the build-up to the move, um, all the new recruiting, the players that Texas fans are seeing coming from Florida, uh, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, guys, the states they haven't signed players from before, uh, guys that are ranked really high that they haven't been in on before. Uh, so I think this game's going to be even bigger for Texas and AM fans. I, I tell you what, Jerry, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and I, I, I'm waiting for it because I just think it's going to be one of those situations where um, we are – excited uh, by all of what's happening uh, yeah. as it relates to Texas football. Recruiting is part of that. Texas having 20 kids on campus starting today, at least 20 expected. Here's the, the stat, though, Jerry. Of those 20, 13 are out of state. Yep. Okay. Interesting here. You and I, and just from the knowledge base that we have over time, we almost always have better feels for in-state recruits. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. you, you know his coach or his his uncle used to play for this, and you know him. But with 13 of these guys, it's a little wonky, right? Plus, there's some um, unnatural recruiting battles going on. I mean, Texas is going to Florida for Dontre Robinson, uh, DeAndre Robinson, right? The big defensive lineman that just got offered by Alabama. Yes. Uh, Santana Wilson, defensive back out of Arizona. That's Adrian Wilson, uh, NFL Pro Bowler's son. Uh, he's a cornerback coming in. Uh, Christian Clark running back out of Arizona, all these out of state guys, we have some feel for the recruitment, but it's harder to make that feel overall. I mean, so how do you, and how are you guys approaching covering this weekend? And what do you think about Texas being so out of state, out of state heavy this weekend, 13 of 20, 13 to 20 and in the trenches, which is Texas fans, really what they've cared about since this coaching change outside of quarterback even offensive line may have been in front of who Sark was recruiting at quarterback outside of Arch Manning. Um, look, six of the seven are from out of state, Bobby. All four D linemen out of state. Two of the three offensive linemen out of state, California guys. Um, this is where years in the business have to pay off. You know, we know a lot of guys uh, that cover teams around. They call us about guys in Texas. We call them uh, about guys from their regions. Uh, and that's really, you know, this is where – 
you have to have a team. You have to have a bigger team than just the inside Texas team. And that's nothing against all of us. We're all teammates. But you have to be able to walk outside uh, of, of inside Texas team and, and make some calls on that. And, look, I I went out in May, saw DeAndre Robinson, right? So you learn about who's around him and that program. So you got to get out and do your job. you got to get out and visit IMGs. Uh, I made all those trips, Bobby. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you still have to talk to the other people. That's what being in a net making being in a network is why it's so valuable. Right. I mean, we all we all help each other out. And, and when teams are recruiting this much out of state, then you have to have a big team and you have to have good relationship with those guys. All right. Uh, I want to say thanks to Ryan Nelson here for a super chat. Can't wait for UT trip to Jordan Hare. Well, you're going to be waiting past 2024, Ryan. Don't pay. They're not going to Auburn uh, in uh, 2024, uh, but I can't wait to go down there. I, have, I don't. I've been to the stadium at Auburn. I've never been to a game there. Have either of you guys been to a game at Auburn? I, I have not, but I'll tell you, a colleague of ours, Keith Niebuhr, right, with the Gators online, he covered Auburn for a few years, and he said, you know, now he was at all those Bama. He was at the Kick Six game, right? But he was like, when Bam, when Auburn is playing an opponent, he said it was, he said it's as good a place as it's ever been to, you know. And, and Keith's an SEC guy, right? He went to the University of Florida. He's been to the Swamp in years. He's been to games in Athens. He's been to games every at LSU. He said Auburn, when they're playing a good opponent, it, it, he said that place is tough, tough to play. All right, I want to get to some more questions here. One of them comes in from the Inside Texas message board. If you don't have a subscription to Inside Texas, please get one. That's uh, where Jerry, Ian, and I, as well as uh, Paul, Eric, Justin, uh, all contribute on a daily best basis. Joe Cook as well. Uh, question, if Jalen Catalan is healthy and stays healthy, is he the best player on the defense or even on the entire team? Not on the entire team. Kelvin Banks is the best player on the team. Uh, Kelvin Banks? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that one's really in contention. Um, I'm, I'm going to read on him eventually and just, I don't know if people, because we didn't call it out live that often, but you go back and watch the level of dominance that guy had as a run blocker last year is really something to behold. Like just routinely putting guys in the bleachers. Um, I, if he's healthy, he's, he might be kind of like Ford where he makes a ton of plays, but I don't know if I would, it's tricky for me whether or not I would call him the best player. He might be the tip of the spear, but um, I tend to think like Jedi Baron, maybe Byron Murphy, um, potentially one of the cornerbacks might be better, more elite, rare football players. But um he might end up with the most production, which is, which could be what they're asking. You know, it just depends on how you want to frame it. Jerry, best player on the team or no? Uh, no, not best player, but I, arguably on the defense. Yeah, I mean, look, he was a—he's the only player on the defense that was ever, has ever garnered an All-American award. Right, his his one hundred percent healthy season at Arkansas, uh, where he was. Look, he made Arkansas's defense go. You could argue he was the difference uh, on that team defensively for Arkansas. What, 99 tackles, multiple interceptions, calls turnovers outside of interceptions. I mean, just such an instinctive player. Um, I, I think the thing that I look at is whether him or Jalen Ford's actually the best player 
or could it be Byron Murphy? I think if you get Catalan healthy with Jalen Ford healthy, you have two guys that instinctively make so many plays that it's going to cover a lot of other guys. That's my that's my take on having two guys like that. Whether who whether one guy's the best by hair, the other guy is. I think having two of those guys on the same defense, unbelievable. I want to go back to the, I agree with you, Jerry. I want to go back to something Ryan Nelson mentioned about the Jordan Hare or Jordan Hare Stadium uh, comment. One of the things that the SEC did that I thought was nice and unique. Every single old SEC team plays at least one of Texas or OU. I thought that was fair, nice, good entryway to the league. Uh, kind of, I don't know if I said I'd say classy, but it, it's just one of those things that I think makes a lot of sense, and they executed well on. And the SEC, frankly, as a conference in the last 20, 20 years, has executed well on a lot of things. Uh, well, Ryan, thanks again for that uh, super chat. We appreciate you. All right, uh, Peyton Ross has a good question, guys. Is the staff telling recruits to wait until the season starts to make a decision because they're that confident? Or are the recruits just having a more drawn-out process to see more schools? Jerry? Uh, I think uh, we've been saying it, but 75 to 80% of Texas top targets all along we're going to make decisions July. I mean, that's July before the senior season starts. Um, you know, I talked to Miles Davis uh, multiple times at Converse Jets, and he said the same thing. I'm going to probably commit publicly August 25th. I may tell the school I'm going to before then. Um, even if some of these kids drag it out, the colleges are going to know where they're going if they have a specific date. No, Texas is not pushing kids to wait. Um, Texas is in some real battle recruitments. We just talked about 13 out-of-state guys. Those guys just don't commit. Uh, to to Texas or their the school far from home like that. Eugene Brooks is making a visit to Texas. He hasn't been since his freshman year. His mom's never been on campus. That kid isn't committing no matter when you offer him until he makes a visit. So uh, there's a lot of kids like that. When you recruit this much out of state, um, then you're going to have a, the majority of these recruitments go until July or August. Got it. Uh, Jerry, I'm going to stay with you real quick. Thanks, Peyton, for the question. Joel yeah. McWaters asks, Regarding Weiner, Reiner Swanson, who committed to BYU yesterday morning, the big tight end out of Laguna Beach, now what? And I know one of them's visiting this weekend. Uh, go ahead and talk about him. Yeah, Jordan Washington out of Langham Creek. Um, Jeff Banks recruits the area in that Cypress area, but offered him after seeing him in the spring. They had had him on campus a couple times, was more under the radar. He was really a spring riser. He's a basketball kid. You know, he's that typical basketball kid who's got great feet. He's got some explosive ability. His upper body's far beyond, sorry, his upper body development is way, way far away from where his lower body already is. Um, he's going to take time in that regard, but he's got tremendous ball skills. Uh, he's a guy who can do something after the catch. He's got some suddenness in his movements. And he's a guy that just came on. And he's become the top tight end prospect for in state for Texas, Texas A&M. And he's even got Alabama scheduled next weekend. Uh, so he was getting in. He should be in Austin right now. Should have got in a few, about an hour ago. He's coming in town with uh, both parents and uh, and two little brothers. Kicker with him, was, which is interesting, was he went to A&M for an official visit June 2nd through 4th. Then he did a midweek at UTSA because he loved Jeff Trailer and that staff. They were the first school to offer him. Uh, which shows you some loyalty, which I actually like. Then he went to Arizona State the 9th through the 11th. 
Then he went back to AM midweek with his dad and two brothers before this Texas visit. So AM knows they were working from behind and they were trying to get him on campus again before this Texas visit. I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Jordan says he's making that Alabama visit. Does he decide before that last weekend in July or does it end up like a Bryce Anderson recruitment where, okay, we're waiting to see, is he going to be at Texas A&M or Texas that for that pool party in late July, Texas has been the favorite, a uh, pretty heavy favorite uh, for the last few weeks, but Texas A&M getting them on campus twice. You, you, it at least raises an eyebrow. All right, uh, Jerry, I want to stay with you one more time. Then Ian, I've got a bigger question, a uh, pretty broad one for you that uh, someone is asking uh, first, Gary, any surprise and this comes from the inside texas message board any surprise visitors this weekend from ronnie la uh not that i'm not that i'm on right now uh does that mean something won't happen Uh, no it does not um but uh right now no um i I think uh uh we'll see what happens i mean i i actually reported that solomon williams you want to talk about surprise visitors uh, inside Texas broke the news that Solomon Williams is coming in next week for a midweek visit. He's an edge kid out of Tampa, Carrollwood Day. So as far as your surprise visitors, that's one. He's just coming in next week. Uh, and he's not a one that Texas fans know about. Bobby, I don't even know if you saw this since you're on the road. He's visiting Alabama officially this weekend. So he is that kid from Florida. There he is, who may not have the ideal height. But when you turn on the video, he is an animal. And he's got a natural bend and pass rush ability to him. He's got an understanding. He's a kid who studies Nathan O'Neill's defensive line videos, right? He goes and studies that stuff. He was highly productive as a junior. They play small ball but uh, in Florida, but it doesn't matter. They play good competition. Um, but he is one of those kids in Florida that, that's always interesting to me in this business, guys, because he goes from, eh, you know, he's a good player, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, they're all um, – oh, boom, now he's visiting Alabama and Texas back-to-back. So there's kind of one of the sleeper visitors. That just happens to be next week, midweek. Got Jerry, it. Do, you know, do we know his, uh, the length of his arms? Uh, we, don't, I, we don't know it exactly. I know he's a longer kid than Justice Finkley is, though. I, I can tell you that from talking to two college coaches. Okay, let's go to John here. John uh, has a question for Ian. Can you do a defense for dummies, Ian, breakdown of last year's defense and how it's different this year? What was the scheme last year and who were key players? And what about all that now? Or at least let's add in your projections of what you think it'll be this year, Ian. I don't know how it's going to change or how much it would change, especially given how effective it was last year. I'm sure they'll make tweaks, you know, emphasize maybe a few different players, but what have you. But I don't, I don't know why they would make a lot of wholesale changes, honestly. Um, I mean, the simplest way to break down last year's defense was that it was basically like the TCU defense. I mean, they ran a 4-2-5. They ran a lot of Patterson's uh, version of quarters coverage. It's, uh, he had this kind of man coverage outside. The safeties line up deep, but they don't backpedal. They sit still and they wait for the play. So they can be there on deep throws, but a lot of times they can get there and help stop the run in a hurry. That's partly why things looked a little different than the year before when you had, you know, Jaron Thompson's whiffing in space. Brendan Schooler can't get to the guy. Well, they had him backpedaling. Um, when, once Gary Patterson came, they stopped backpedaling, and then those long-distance run fits started to look different between that and the better play up front because they had a, an easier technique to play. 
you know, it's it's still a two four five, but last year they dropped the edges so infrequently that it was really just a four two five. Um, I would say the nickel they call the stars one of the key spots because that guy has to be able to play on the edge some blitz a lot, play man coverage like a cornerback at times, cover slot receivers. Um, that's why earlier I mentioned Jedi Barrett is potentially the best player on the defense. Three technique is important. They like to put the three technique in the way of the run. Um, we may talk about this this weekend, but that's why they had big Tavondre Sweat there so much. That's a that's a that's a decent overview. I think it's it tries to blend being conservative with still being able to stop the run. Got it. Uh, hopefully, they make more plays in the secondary this year. I'd like them to see see them make more plays on the ball. If I'm saying there's one any one thing. And that may come with tighter coverage. Well, also, Jaron Thompson probably broke up or nearly broke up, like, I want to say five or six balls that could just have easily have been interceptions. Yeah. And just and a, he, little bit, a little bit more awareness from some of those guys back there and those turn into picks. Gotcha. All right, let's start with uh, – let's go to Travis Earls here. He uh, has a super chat question. Uh, what underrated players that are visiting Texas right now – So. I guess either this weekend or this come or the the one following. Do you think have the highest highest ceiling to become stars? So, what underrated players to become stars? What are the odds for Texas to recruit them, Jerry? I'm going to go with two. Okay, and I want your thoughts after this. And I'm going to stick just to this weekend. Okay, yeah, I'm going to say Santana Wilson. That was my first one. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, long arm cornerback. Dad's a pro player. He's like what a three star, four star, but yeah, not. he's a, he's a four star now, but not a nationally known kid. Right. Only only he's really messing with Arizona State too, Oklahoma maybe a little. He's not to your point. Not he's a guy that I think yeah. that that I think has that high one. And then the other one I would say is Jordan Washington, okay. the tight end that we talked about earlier. Uh, I think that he has a chance because he has a lot of the traits. He just has to get there over time, yeah. right? It's going to yeah. take him some time. Jerry? I, hey, I, I want to talk Santana. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm on board. He was my first one. Yeah, he's ranked 238 in the on-three industry rankings. He's a four-star kid and a highly ranked kid, but nationally he's not a guy talked about because Alabama, Georgia, and those people aren't recruiting him, right? Um, obviously, his father was a tremendous pro, uh, Adrian Wilson, that would knock your helmet into the stands. Um he was that level guy about to be – he's high up in the NFL, by the way. He is one of the uh, rising stars in front offices of NFL, uh, Adrian Wilson. But he's a kid who, look, a lot of people thought he was going to Arizona State early on. He's got Washington scheduled next weekend. There was a couple teams that were trying – which is this is what's interesting in the business talking to other people um, in, in network is there's a couple of colleges that are trying to get him on campus uh in june and they weren't able to and one of those actually predicted this kid wants to go to texas so let's see what happens after this weekend with santana wilson um i find it hard to believe that texas would turn down adrian wilson's son if he wanted to commit let me ask you this two other names that that, that come up for me danny okoye yeah but he's starting to get some national appeal. yeah but yeah it's hard to say he's underrated at this point uh christian clark is he as highly rated by other folks as he is by Texas? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. I mean, it visits to USC, Georgia, FSU, Texas, uh, and Oregon. Uh, the other one for me is Eugene Brooks, the guard out of Sierra Canyon, because 
you turn on the tape, and there aren't many 340 guys that pound guys that play as hard as he does down the field, and really that extra effort. And he was a spring riser. Look, he had no official visit set up. He had offers. He had a lot of early offers, Texas, Oklahoma, and these people. And he's, he this kid's way underrated nationally, but it'll all even out. Um, but he had no visit set up in June. Kyle Flood went down there in May and took a look and immediately scheduled 16th through 18th. Oklahoma got him on campus officially last week, and he has Georgia the 23rd through 25th. Oregon and USC are still trying to push to get him on campus. That doesn't sound like the 742nd-ranked player in America. That's just – that's not that guy, right? So he, to me, because of what you see, the motor and the effort on tape, he's lost 30 pounds, which I think's helped the way colleges viewed him this uh, in May. He's one of those guys that I think is way underrated as an interior line prospect. And I'll tell you this, talking to him a couple of times, um, he's a focused kid. Like when I interviewed him earlier this week, he said, I want to be an early enrollee because I want to get a jump on the other linemen in my cycle that uh, that may not be. And I want to go in and, and give myself the best chance to compete and push myself to see if I can uh, play right away. And he said, I know it may not happen, but I want to push myself to that point. And that's why I want to be an early enrollee. That's pretty good words to hear from an offensive lineman that lost 30 pounds in the last year. Similar things to kind of Connor Stroh in a way. But I think Brooks is a better athlete, right? I, You know, I that he looks like it to me on film. Right. Uh, Stroh can look a little stiff at times. Right. Yeah. I think that's all fair. All right. Um, let's keep going here. I've got a couple more questions. Thank you all for getting all these in. Uh, please continue adding to the queue. We're trying to go a little longer uh, today as well. We appreciate you guys. Hey, hey, I, I don't know if you can pull this up, Bobby, um, but there's a three-star defensive line recruiting discussion going on in the comments. We ought probably address that a little bit after whatever. You, uh, if I interrupted you, sorry. That's I'll okay. No, we, we, I do need to say thank you to our sponsor, Andy Ludicky. He's he's happy that we got to say thank you every so often. Uh, he is a guy that uh, sets up people with businesses, uh, franchises. Uh, if you're looking to own uh, own your own business, make your own way, uh, have complete control of what you're trying to do, uh, contact him at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. He places people and families with uh, businesses ready-made to try, try to make you money and yourself money. Of course, you have to make an investment alongside your own time and effort. Uh, but if you want to take control of your, uh, of your uh, future, give Andy a shout. Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Jerry, I'm trying to find that right now, so give me one second. I, I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer a couple of obviously. Is Ryan Wingo on campus? Yes, he was supposed to get in at noon. Um, would Texas expect Texas accept a commitment from Melvin Hills? I do believe they would. Okay. That's Good. two questions Good I'm question. seeing. I'm just trying to answer some questions for people as we're going along here. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, traffic cone question. If Anthony Hill isn't the top pass rusher on the team, who is? Anybody want to take that? Baron Sorrell is the obvious one. Um, it might be one of the defensive tackles. I was going Byron Murphy. But, yeah, I mean, you could name like three that win yeah. a shock, right? Your favorite guy, Collins. <laughs> Devondre Sweat usually gets a lot of um, credit for that. And then Byron Murphy as well. I so, just wanted somebody to say Alfred Collins before me. Uh, <laughs> I got you. That's right. 
<laughs> you I'm are a, insufferable, Jerry Hamilton. Hey, the, my limb is broken, and I'm trying to get some uh, duct tape on it for the season. You know, I've been on that one for so long. I, I, I actually think the guy's going to have a good year. Hey, this one's from uh, uh, David Williams, one of our friends here. Uh, a recruit I'm really interested in is Jordan Johnson-Rubel. I know many are high on him as a recruit, but he doesn't seem fast enough to me. I think Corian Gibson is a much better fit with Derek Williams. I think this is a great question, Bobby, and, and, and Ian. I'll tell you why. Could he be Jalen Catalan? That's kind of the question I have, and I'm not saying he is, but the same things were said about Catalan out of high school. There's guys that are bigger. There's guys with better frames. There's guys that are faster. But when I was at IMG, um, I actually published the quotes um, on all the IMG guys from the coaching staff at IMG. Uh, they said he's the best defensive player player on their team. And that's 11 power five football players because he can play off the ball. He's got the instincts uh, to play, to cover hash the boundary. He can call the defense. You slide him down into the box. He's physical against the run. So while he's, he's actually 180 pounds, uh, but he just hasn't been to a camp to get that updated. So while he's a five, 10 and a half, 180 pound guy, um, he plays more physical and he plays instinctive. So there's some similarities with Catalan, and I'm not comparing him to a guy that was an All-American, but from a recruiting standpoint, there are some similarities there. Jalen Catalan, I think, was ranked 250 to 320 in the country. Obviously a better player than that uh, when he was healthy at Arkansas. Hey, uh, Joseph M. says, 17 total likes so far, 511 people watching. Hey, just so you all know, one of the reasons we ask for likes, we, we rarely do this, by the way. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. We don't, we rarely ask for subscribers for the YouTube channel and likes, but one of the reasons that it helps is it helps our, the YouTube algorithm so that more people get a chance to see the content uh, and uh, share more Longhorn stuff with more people. So that's why we do ask for it. Joseph, thanks for bringing that up. We appreciate it. Uh, Joseph M., uh, also, thanks to Palmetto Horn uh, and other people uh, that have put in some uh, super chats as well. We appreciate it. Texas Two Sip, Jerry Hamilton is the best best in the business. Love listening to that guy. Thanks for all you do. I agree. Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, you're pretty darn good, man. Well, thank you for <laughs> the, the right. kind words there. And uh, well, hopefully it comes through in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> all right. Here it comes. Here it comes. Uh, another question uh, for you guys. And this is uh, from a YouTube user. Uh, putting aside our bias, what can Tech offer Micah Hudson from an on-field standpoint, offensive system, wide receiver coach development, opening day starter, being the guy? We hit on a couple of things earlier, and I'm gonna I want Ian, you and Jerry to take this one, okay, a little bit. 
I'm, I'm my issue with Micah Hudson and what he's doing right now really stems from the point that tech doesn't have a true wide receivers coach. They have a running backs coach that got pushed to wide receivers while Texas is offering any receiver, not just Micah Hudson, a guy that just coached pros and Texas poached him. Well, this is a guy that is a converted Baylor running backs coach. And I think that tech in some ways hired him because he had a prior relationship with Micah Hudson. Um, And so that's the piece of this that I think is awkward, but I also think you have to, if you're Texas, you can't negative recruit that because it's going to come off as spilt milk or sour milk. Right. Um, As far as an offensive standpoint, I think Texas has, uh, and, 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 and tech both have very attractive uh, situations for the wide receiver room in general. Uh, so tech does a little bit different. Texas does a little bit different, has more long stuff, in my opinion. Uh, as far as being an opening day starter, if Texas loses three wide receivers like we expect them to, two, Micah Hudson has a real chance of being the next guy up. So uh, I think Micah Hudson rated higher would be rated higher than Jonte Cook and or DeAndre Moore in a similar year. So I I just went through all of those. Jerry, Ian, you guys want to add anything to that? Ian, you especially as it relates to the difference in offenses. I'll add something from a recruiting standpoint first is, and this is not, this is not a, Marjan Hooks is the best wide receiver trainer I've seen in my 20 years doing this. Uh, Not many of his guys go play the same position at the same school. All right, what do you got, Ian? Oh, interesting. That was a that was quite the nugget you just slipped in there. Um, I well to that point, really just building on that point, like uh, Jareth Stearns, right? Caden Stearns' brother had a couple like 130 catch near 2,000 yard seasons with um, Tech's uh, offensive coordinator out of Western Kentucky. I, Zach Kitley. 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 Yeah. Zach Kitley. Um, I think they're going to throw the ball down the field more and more as they get guys that can get down the field. They kind of inherited a bunch of uh, big, tall, skilled, 4-7 kind of outside receivers when they first got there. Um, they're going to get more and more speed. They're going to send it down the field and chuck the ball over people's heads. That's what they want to do. I It just makes sense, you know, kind of like when um, Michael Crabtree, when Leach was able to poach Michael Crabtree in part because – some people were like, hey, come play like defensive back. And Texas isn't selling Micah Hudson up playing defensive back. But he was like, if I go out to Lubbock, I can be the guy, catch 100 balls immediately every year for a million yards. Um, I, some kids care about that. Some kids maybe would rather split the uh, receptions and save mileage for the NFL. But maybe he's just one of those guys that's like, yeah, I'm going to go be a star. Hey, uh, by the way, I know this is like – a distant third today because we're talking SEC, Texas football and recruiting. Uh, but I've had about 50 questions on Chris Jack Johnson, the basketball recruit for, that is formerly of Elkins High, who played a senior at Montverde, who uh, asked for his release from Kansas. He got his release uh, today, Joe Tipton reported. And anybody that has a question for me, this is what I got for you. Move on. Nothing. Basically not going to happen for hi. Texas. I said hi, Bobby. Hi. Next. <laughs> I can't I can't even read that stuff, man. You're too much for me. All right. Football junkie. Uh, thanks for the super chat here. Players look really good in new IG post. 
Matt, if you're our producer, if you can get that post up that I sent you uh, via text, that'd be great. Uh, Quinn looks lean. Uh, Anthony Hill looks like a monster. How big, strong, and fast is Anthony Hill at this point, guys? There's the, and, and for the people watching on screen, there's the new one of uh, Quinn Ewers that came up today. Jerry, how how big did uh, did uh, uh, Hill come in at? Anthony Hill, um, 6'2", 228, I'm pretty sure. Right around there, 226, 228. Got it. Yeah, if y'all want to peruse those, we've got a, some links of those on the Inside Texas website in the message boards uh, as well if you guys want to see some of those guys. Uh, and, and, and look, here's on. the thing with Quinn, too, to remember. Like, all of this with – we talked about his play last year on the field. Really – should have been a true freshman year. This is really his first off season for real as being a starting quarterback. You know, he went to Ohio State during the season. You don't do much, right? You come to Texas, you have spring football, and you have the summer. Um, but this is kind of, you know, you've played one year of college football. You realize, okay, if, I, if I'm if i going to be the guy I want to be, if I'm going to get drafted where I want to be, uh, if I'm going to make the money I think I can play in this game, this is when you're starting to see the signs of, uh, of a guy that says, okay, I know what I have to do now. I, I'm say, I thought Ian thinks about that. I thought Quinn. I thought Quinn had some some baby fat on him last year. This this picture, I don't see a lot of baby fat. Ian, I agree with what Bobby said. You know, you'd you'd like for these kids to come in with a professional mindset, and uh, you know, I'm going to hunt down all my weaknesses and destroy them. But usually, they need to be exposed to their weaknesses and have somebody rub their nose in it before they really figure it out. So he's on a, he's on a normal trajectory. Hey guys, this is a good question here. Uh, and Jerry from Zach Ramsey, which recruit does the Bama game coming up in September impact the most? And I want to tie this in Jerry. Yeah, I, I know Trey Robinson. Okay. Because he, he's a guy that has a high ceiling, but is not rated as highly that we didn't mention earlier too. Yeah. Um, I was actually going to 2025 because I think all these kids have decisions. I was going to say Ryan Williams, KJ Lacey's teammate. I mean, uh, uh, look, Decorian Moore. I was going 2025s um, because th so many of these kids have decisions made by their senior season. Um, and once these kids make decisions, I mean, you're not going to flip a lot of these kids. Um so, I mean, look, think about how much Florida State tried to flip uh, Cedric Baxter last year. And, and it just wasn't – at the end of the day, it wasn't going to happen. So, I'm looking more 2025. I mean, you're going into the state of Alabama. Um, and if you're an improved offense and you can go in and win that game and look good offensively, when your high school quarterback's K.J. Lacey, Ryan Williams may say, you know, you got a point over there. Maybe I should take a, a, a look at this a little bit more. It, would it have made a difference if it was in Austin? Because it seemed like beating Alabama in College Station made a difference for him. Huge. Yeah, that's on-field celebration, all the recruits they had there, the locker room after, uh, the you know the build-up to the game. Yeah, I, I think that – look, I was at the Texas-Bama game last year, and and you could just feel it if they had won that game, you could feel what it would have done. And I'm sure A&M fans felt the same way when it was, when it looked like it was going to happen, then it did happen. Um, I think playing at home makes a lot of difference, but I will say this, this is a different circumstance. You're moving into the sec. If you can go into Bama 
and win. What they haven't lost a night game since 2015. Is that what? Uh, to, is it 2019 I mean, 20, or 2015? 15, the Ole Miss the, wow. when Hugh when Hugh Freeze had uh, the number one recruiting class rolling. Um, so it was 2015. They haven't lost a night game. If you can go in and win there, think about all the recruits that are going to be at that game. That is a college game day, big time environment. Bama fans, this is the big first big game of the season. The hated Texas Longhorns are coming in, moving into the SEC. There's they're going to have every top recruit there that, that can get there for that game. If Texas wins there, I think it could be pretty monumental in recruiting. Got it. All right, let's go to Texas two step. I finally found this. There you go. Question. Uh, what three star defensive line has been a true difference maker at Texas over the years? The answer very few, according to tri- Texas two step. You've got to get the elite difference makers, period. Okay, I've thought about this. Brian Robeson, 14 years in the NFL, three-star. Marcus Tubbs, defensive tackle, DeSoto, three-star. First-round draft pick, Seattle Seahawks. Um, those are two that just came to me off my mind. Was Byron Murphy a four-star or was he uh, a three-star? He was, he, was, he was right on that line. Okay, Puna Ford. That's what I was going to say. Puna Ford. Uh, Tavondre Sweat wasn't a four-star prospect. So, and, Charles Aminahu. Charles Aminahu. I mean, so here's the thing. D- defensive line, I think there's the war daddies, which you would like to get one a year in a class. Unless, look, separate Georgia and Bama, what they've done, because it's different. <laughs> right now where Texas is at, and Clemson, and Ohio State, those four have dominated D-line recruiting. You'd like to get one war daddy type a year. But then you still you're still going to get guys that you have to develop and that you evaluate and you see that upside with those guys. But here's the biggest thing for me that I think will be interesting with Texas, and this is why I wanted the question. I was immediately thinking of Puna Ford and Byron Murphy, and as you move into the SEC, right? Puna Ford was not wanted by SEC schools. He was five eleven. What is he? We don't know. Okay, I, we could look back on the old recruiting rankings, but that guy ended up being better than nine out of to every ten that were recruited by SEC schools. Probably at the end of the day, um, Byron Murphy is going to be a drafted guy. The thing you don't want Texas to fall into the trap of is saying they've got to be six four three ten, because there's great players that are six one on the defensive line, and you would hate to miss a great player just because you put box yourself in into the height weight category. And I know you have to have enough of those guys in the SEC, but you still want to have great players. I don't know what y'all think about that. I I, I agree. I, I think there's a development curve for defensive and offensive linemen. Defensive linemen tend to be a tad early because of their quickness, the ones that are really good. Yeah. Um, offensive linemen, it's it's a bake. It's a slow bake process, typically. Not yeah. you know for every for every Kelvin Banks, there's ten that need two years of development. Yeah, uh, truly. Um, I want to go to this one. Uh, well, I'll just, let me let me add just two notes too. I, I think height only matters insofar as it relates to length. Like taller guys tend to have more length. When you're crouched down, it doesn't matter if you're six four, six two. Yeah. What matters is when you engage. You know the hand fighting. And then the other thing is that um, I don't really necessarily know how to evaluate this myself. Maybe Jerry does. But I've heard that the the best predictor of success for defensive tackles, like maybe once you have like a baseline of size, athleticism, whatever, coordination and how they know how to if they know how to use their hands. Yeah. And that doesn't to to the average football fan or even the hardcore recruitment, 
watching a huddle doesn't it's hard to know who's really coordinated and knows how to use their hands and who doesn't but that's that's the big that's the big thing hey by the way jordan davis from georgia was a three-star recruit so not even all the guys georgia just had drafted in the first round were nationally ranked guys um but it's still an evaluation business and you still have to develop those guys and jordan davis developed into what a top 10 pick from being a three-star recruit out of charlotte north carolina yeah, he also came in at like 362, right? That's right. So you have to develop that guy. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Ian, I thought that was a good comment. It uh, was a great comment. I, I, and, I and, and, and Nathan O'Neill comments on that, right? When we have Nathan O'Neill, we Nathan, we got to get Nathan on here with the end. Y'all have a blast together. Um, but, you know, Nathan talks about how long it actually takes these guys to develop into being a pass rusher. He said, guys can play the run early. But he said, actually developing as a pass rusher, he said, people don't understand how long that actually takes for these kids because it's, it comes so easy and they don't know how to use their hands. They don't know how to use all the advantages they have. They have to be taught that. Yeah, they've been running by everybody because they're That's the right. best athletes on the teams typically. All right. right. Uh, this was a good one. I thought, Ian, this one's one you can, you can manage here uh, from Jared Voswinkle. Common criticisms of Sark have been his second half play calling. Agreed. Some say he can't adjust. Others say he gets off script after first quarter. Will the new play clock rule stretch that creativity? That's interesting. He doesn't have as many plays lined up in the first half, I guess. Ian? Yeah, I think being in year three is probably going to be more important there than the, the you know, the clock. Hopefully they, hopefully they don't even get to their full script and they just turn to page two, run out the clock in the second half. Uh, more regularly next season, but I mean, maybe, but I, I think a, a much bigger factor is, you know, they get to be more hands-on in the summer. Now the coaches do, they get to, they have a second year quarterback. They don't have two freshmen starting on the offensive line. They, you know, so on and so forth. It should be a lot easier to get to script more, to draw up more, to give Quinn more options at the line of scrimmage all that. <clears throat> All right. Still have time for several more questions. We're going to go 10 extra hey, minutes. Hey, Rob, Rob Enfield has one of the comments I've, I want to hear more on uh, we've ever had here. Uh, I, I, he said, I was related to Nolan Ryan through marriage. Saw his first game in the Astrodome. He had a home run. Uh, Rob, I know that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I'm watching, I'm following y'all's chats, but that just intrigued me that you're related to Nolan Ryan through marriage. Uh, if you ever talk to him anymore, ask him what he thinks of these pitchers coming out after five innings and and doing a hundred pitches being the cutoff. Because I think Nolan Ryan says total BS. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, not many pitchers even today had the work regiment uh, that he did. I mean, he was super uh, unbelievable on that. Unbelievable. Kind of stuff. Hey, but Jerry, I want to on that too, though. It just says they just don't work hard enough. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hey, this is from Football Texas. I th think this is a really nice one, too. Back in the day, right. Texas universities would get the cold shoulder from high schools in the state if they recruited too many out-of-state players. When did this change? And this, this is particularly uh, uh, apropos because Texas is bringing in 13 of their 20 recruits this weekend are out-of-state. Uh, Jerry, you and I are good to answer this one. Yep. You want to go first? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a couple of things. First, uh, for the people who don't know, my dad was a high school coach in Texas for 38 years. So I was very much on board with this for uh, two thirds at least of my career. 
in this business. But here, here's why it's changed for me. Um, more kids have moved into this state. And not as many kids grow up in Texas or in Georgia uh, as they used to. So these kids aren't sit here. They're not born and put in AM and Texas jerseys like they used to be because they're not from here, a lot of kids. Um, so those kids are going to go out of state. You have more kids going out of state. So the more kids go out of state, the less uh, a high school coach can really complain about an A&M or Texas not taking enough of the guys in state. Um, and if, if the kids are going to leave the state, then what is Texas or Texas A&M going to do? They, got, they get fired if they don't go have the best teams possible. It, it, you know, if you're going to lose four top guys to Ohio State in one class, you're going to go recruit out of state at those positions more than likely because there's going to be a fall off. Um, and it also comes down to Bobby. I, I get your thoughts, but you know, look, defensive tackle in the class this year is not deep as far as guys Texas would take. Alex January is a Texas lean. Outside of that, the other six guys coming in from official visits are all out of state guys. Sometimes your state just doesn't have that depth at some positions that you're going to offer at Texas or Texas AM, and you're going to go outside the state to get the best players you can at those positions. But uh, that's a couple of things. I'm sure Bobby has more on that thoughts on it. I, you know, I grew up at a time when the Southwest conference was getting pillaged in the state of Texas because SMU had went on probation. I, I grew up in the seventies and eighties, right? So Texas and SMU were tremendous uh, from about 79 to 83 a Jackie Sherrill came along. He kind of dominated the conference in the mid eighties. Uh, late 80s even, the reality of it is that college football has blown up. The popularity, the nationalist aspect of it. Uh, and I grew up at, uh, I grew up watching ESPN, but I was like the first generation ESPN. I mean, kids today don't realize that used to, you only got one college football game a week on yeah. TV. Like if you grew up in the 70s, one college football game a week. And then you may get the Raycom game that was only local on the UHF channel. And some kids are asking me, what, what is the UHF channel right now, by the way? <laughs> they, don't, they don't even know what that is. My point being, it became more national. College basketball became more national. Um, guys were going from, from Cal Southern California to Syracuse in basketball. Football, it started happening that way. And while a Notre Dame and a Michigan every so often would recruit Texas. Back when that started, everybody started recruiting Texas. The Dallas-Fort Worth airport was a big reason why, Jerry. Yeah. I mean, they could get anywhere nonstop to DFW. So, I, I mean, I, one time I sat and had coffee with coaches from Maryland, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, three ACC teams at school, in the DFW airport. Like, back to back, to, and they, they met each other and then went to their flights. I mean, what – you know, yeah. what am I supposed to do? And that that tells you that the ease of recruiting is when it started to change, as well as when Virginia Tech beat Florida State uh, back with Wark, Wark Dunn ran a draw on fourth and seven and came up short. Yeah. And to piggyback on what you're saying, when I lived in South Florida, I, I had a high school coach at one of the predominant Miami schools, one of the dominant schools. We were talking about this before practice one time because Florida kind of ties in with Texas in this way. And he was like, you know what? He said in the 80s, kids would sign with Miami from Dade or Broward County. They had never been outside the county. 
He said, now you have these seven on seven teams. These kids are getting out seeing the world. They don't know. He was this was a few years ago, it's like 2015, 2016 range. He said, these kids now know that Miami's facilities had fall, fallen way behind. Then they go visit Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and it's like a whole nother world to them. And I think that's where part of the rise of the SEC uh, was that they won the arms race. Hey, and, I've got to, they got kids on campus to your point. I, I think another thing is, Jerry, lack of the, the provinciality of Texas high school coaches has yeah. changed too. That's true. There, the old, there was an old guard of there Texas was an old high school guard. coaches that thought the way that this guy's talking about. Yeah. The new ones, they, they see it a little bit differently because they grew up in the age of ESPN. Right. They, they saw all that growing up. All right, Ian, this one's for you because can I love I ask it. You guys, you get... Can I ask you guys a question first? Go yeah. Around this. yeah, yeah. Can I get an etymology for the term war daddies? <laughs> it sounds like something that was lifted from like uh, yeah. Mad Max or something. <laughs> and, uh, or World War II, probably some some machine gun or something. I don't know. We don't. So we I don't know. know. Okay, Ian, well, this is you because you love it. That you get the Sooners riled up as well or better than anybody. Michael White. Me and Colin Calhoun. I'm going to put this. Ian, do you see Brent Venables having Lincoln Riley, Bob Stoops level success at OU? No, and I mean maybe not even entirely his fault. Like he came in, his program was going to be the program that he's used to having is go get war daddy defensive tackles, right? Uh, win with defense, win in the lines. He inherited all these 270 pound dudes that Alex Grinch was using, which that worked for Alex Grinch, but it doesn't work for Brent Venables. He had to go recruit against Texas A&M. It was, you know, snatching up every five-star defensive tackle and the, that, that Oklahoma wanted. Um, he's, their plan B's have not panned out very well. They've had like three defensive tackles that they recruited already transferring out. They're having to snatch up guys from Chucos or wherever they can find them in the transfer portal. Um, you know, it'd be like if Sark came to Texas and couldn't get Xavier Worthy and couldn't get um, Isaiah Nayor and A.D. Mitchell, you know, like if he could not get the receivers he needed or if uh, he couldn't have got – if he couldn't get Kelvin Banks and Cam Williams and DJ Campbell, et cetera. We know what Brent Venable's plan was to get things going at Oklahoma, and the plan is totally off kilter now. So, and then the SEC move is coming. He's just really up against it. Yeah. I, I've always thought one of the interesting things was um, the 2000, what, that seven, eight, nine years for Oklahoma, they had great players in their state. Sam Bradford, Gerald McCoy, Jermaine Gresham. I mean, they had Heisman Trophy winner, top five at a, at a premium position, Jermaine Gresham, a rare first-round tight end. I, they had great players for a few years there coming out of their state. And how many of those Heisman Trophy winners were quarterbacks from high school football in Oklahoma? I mean, right? I mean, White. Yeah. I mean, so I, I just – for Oklahoma to have a chance, um, they've got to recruit Texas as well. They also have some, have some help from in-state. They need some great players to come through there. Um, and it's kind of like saying, well, Casey, there's that been another Casey Hampton. There may not be another Gerald before that. There may not be another Sam Bradford, but maybe that helped Bob Stoops continue his run. Not, that's a good point because 
the, the Rocky Kalmuses of the world. Yeah. You know, those guys matter. And typically the state of the state of Oklahoma does not produce a lot of skill position talent on defense, particularly in the secondary. Yeah. Right. And at wide receiver. They so, did have a five-star like safety Daxton Hill. And he right. came up here to Michigan. Came up to Michigan, went in the sec late first or se early second round. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, I got, got a question here uh, for you guys from Dennis Donaldson. Uh, bef uh, before I finish this uh, though, uh, I want to I want to take this one, guys. Uh, yeah. Dennis Donaldson, I had a problem with Sark's throwing on first down play calling, and especially when his young QB was clearly struggling. First and ten turned into second and fourteen way too often. I agree. Um, at the same time, I feel like we finally saw some we saw some growth in Sark as a play caller actually against Baylor. I mean, against Baylor and against. Iowa State in the second half, when he had to have it, he just he handed the ball off. And frankly, uh, I, I think you saw him say, okay, let's put it in the best player's hands and let it happen. That gives me, I won't say faith, but I would say some hope for the future as how Sark will call a game, particularly now. You can say that's easy thing to say. It's a harder thing to do. Right. But if he has the players, you feel more confident getting it done. Ian, do you, you agree with that kind of sentiment where it's one thing to say, oh, we can't, we can't, I don't like him calling. He needs to just run it down their throats. Well, if you don't have the players to run it down their throats, you probably don't if you're five and seven, by the way. Yeah. Right. You know, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I agree that. He probably there were times last year, and I think he admitted as much, where he just needed to stick with it and just run the ball, um, protect Quinn, and he kept trying to. I think it was really hard for him last year because he knew that there were shots available, and that's what he wants more than anything is to take your head off with the shot, and uh, they just couldn't hit it. Um, I think maybe they hit it in practice some, and he'd be like, "But surely, eventually, we're going to get this." So. You know, this will be something to watch as he, as you, to your point, he's going to have the players to do more of what he wants in the future. If he continues to be a little bit maybe overly stubborn or inflexible, you start to wonder if like, hey, maybe maybe you should hire an offensive assistant who is uh, got some skins on the wall to kind of challenge you a little more. Got another hey, question. I want to yeah. play this from Dennis Donison. He asked another question I want to get to. Was it the AM game on Thanksgiving while we were growing up, Bobby? If so, do you know why it moved to the day after? And is there a chance it comes back? I don't think there's a chance it comes back because the NFL now owns that day, essentially. Um, and I don't know why they ever moved it. But, yes, it was on that day. The first time I ever saw Texas play Texas A&M was Earl Campbell's senior year. My mom and dad took me up to College Station. And the very first play, we had to scout tickets, the very first play I saw – was a swing pass to Earl Campbell. I think it was late in the first quarter uh, for like a 60-yard touchdown, uh, one of the defining moments in my young life. Jerry, you had something? Yeah, I, I want to go real back, back real quick to the Oklahoma conversation. So I just looked up the 2006 signing class for Oklahoma, okay? It was Sam Bradford, and these are kids from Oklahoma, Sam Bradford, Gerald McCoy, Jermaine Gresham, Moises Madu, and Dominique Franks. 
were all in the same class from Oklahoma. They may never have a class like that again in that state. So Oklahoma has to recruit Texas. But, man, that last run Bob Stoops really had there, they had a three first-round picks in the same high school class out of the state of Oklahoma and five NFL draft picks. Yep. All right. I want to say thank you one last time. Then we got another question that we want to finish up with. I want to say thank you to Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, if you're looking to leave the corporate rat race, two weeks PTO, no real time off or, or time to make money uh, on your own, uh, give Andy a shout at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. He specializes in placing people and families uh, with businesses of their own. That's Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net, long-term friend of the program here with us. All right, let's finish up, guys, with this one. And we appreciate everybody uh, coming in and joining us from Palmetto. Uh, all of the questions, plus the Super Chats from Palmetto Horn, Ryan Nelson, Travis Earl, Joseph M., Football Junkie. I may have missed one or two there. Uh, we appreciate it. That's beer money for Jerry, Ian, and I. Uh, David Williams, I know the answer to this question, but what do each of you think UT's weaknesses are? To me, the clear issue is weak side defensive end. Also, I'm not sure who the guards will be, but I'm certain they will be good. I don't think it's the guards. I'll agree with that. Is the weakness weak side defensive end in y'all's opinion? Most likely. Most likely. How about this? How about this is a weakness? How about uncertainty of Quinn Ewers at quarterback and being able to be a, a, a on-time rhythm quarterback when he has the receivers that he has this year? Is that – we don't think that's a weakness. Yeah, I mean, is that I mean, a potential weakness? I mean, opportunity cost is almost kind of – I don't think he's going to be bad, but how how – how much is he going to pay down, you know, on his potential? Is he going to hold them back by not being elite, right? Jerry, what are you thinking? Well, yeah, I think – so I, I kind of put it in the wins category in that, when you get down to that. Um, I think Texas can win nine, ten games if Quinn uh, is a third, fourth-round level quarterback. I think he's got yeah. the talent around him. If that guy elevates, then it changes the season because there's there's a lot of players around him on both sides of the ball. It's the third year in the system for these kids, um, third year in the program, a more young influx of talent. So that to me is where the difference in the quarterback play comes down to is, you know, we'll see if with Alabama this year, I think that's going to be one to watch, right? Um, you lose Bryce Young who played at such a high level. Is that the difference in two more losses for them this year? We'll find out. It hasn't been in Nick's career, but I'm he doesn't have McCarron. He doesn't have some of those guys right now to go to. Uh, so that's kind of the way I look at it. I think you can win nine, ten games with fourth-round pick Quinn, but you go to another level if he becomes first-round pick Quinn. Let me bring another one up to you guys and see what y'all think before we get going here. Um, I obviously think quarterback's the most important position on the field. That's why I asked that question. Weak side defensive end is the most obvious or glaring position on defense here's my question what about the speed of safety because neither jaron thompson nor jalen catalan are like knock you out knock you off fast right they're they're instinctive tough but they're not fast does that worry you guys about some stuff uh ian's shaking his head uh, that's great to hear 
Jade Barron's also back there in the nickel. Is is that part of why, Ian, or what are you thinking there? Yeah, I, especially the scheme they run. I don't really care how fast the safeties are, honestly. They could both be four eight if they know what to do. It's going to be fine. Um, Jared, four, eight, he, Ian, that's a little much. Four eight, give me okay. four eight. Tony Jefferson, two Tony Jeffersons with a nickel corner. You're pretty much okay. Um, Jaron, I think, is actually probably like 4'6". I think Jaron may be a little faster than we give him credit for. Catalan is definitely not very fast, but as Jerry has noted many times, he certainly plays fast. Um, I, I am not <clears> – <throat> I'm not worried about speed. That, that gives me some reassurance, Ian. Thank okay. you. <laughs> so here's here's my weakness. Here's my weakness. So we all, we're not jinxing anything, so don't anybody come back here in four months and say we jinxed anything, Okay. This is where show, we talk about this stuff. If Jalen Ford happened to get hurt this year, Texas' weakness is at linebacker. Too much, too much, too much inexperience, too much youth, um, and you lose arguably a top type of guy in the Big Twelve at that position, top five guy in the country at that position. I think if you if Byron Murphy went down for three games, I think you're okay. If Alfred Collins goes down three games or sweat, you're okay, right? If if Jay, if Jalen Ford went down, boy, you get pretty youthful and inexperienced. And, you know, David Benda, people have high hopes from as a senior, still hasn't happened on the field. So that becomes a hole for you if you have an injury at middle linebacker this year. Don't so little that, faith man. in Jet Bush. <laughs> hey, Jet Bush, the, the, the thing that Ford does, and I want to say this because he hasn't made any preseason All-American teams, to my knowledge, even though he may oh. end up being the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, this year and probably came or he came in second last year is he connects. And this is something Ian and I discussed about last week is he connects the back to the front of the defense as well as any Texas linebacker has in a long time. That that's, that's one thing he does really nicely. If if anybody hasn't, and I've said this on the show, if anybody hasn't watched Derek Johnson's interview with him on Longhorn network, you can find it on YouTube, uh, watch it and listen to what Derek Johnson says about Jalen Ford and pass coverage. All right, that's guys. coming from a Hall of Fame player. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, we got to get going. Uh, it's been an hour and ten minutes. Thank you all for staying with us a little bit yep. longer. We wanted to add some more questions in uh, today. We appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us uh, through this and everything uh, as well. Uh, also appreciate all the Super Chats. This weekend is very big for the University of Texas, just to be clear. Um, we, I do expect a commitment or two. Uh, over the weekend, we'll see if it comes to fruition. We never know if it actually is going to happen because the players have to follow through and all that stuff. But that's something we're tracking. They've got 20 guys coming on campus. I'm guessing that I do a video with Jerry at some time this weekend to talk about that. We'll definitely be back on Sunday night with our live uh, live stream. Uh, I've got Ian on Sunday. Uh, we're going to be talking some SEC stuff. I've got Paul Wadlington tomorrow as well. All right. Please visit us also at InsideTexas.com. All right, for Ian Boyd and Jerry Hamilton of InsideTexas.com, I'm Bobby Burton. Thanks for watching this week's episode or, or this episode of the Longhorn Live Stream. Thanks. <laughs>